Romans chapter 6, this morning we will be um, really kind of working through Romans chapter 1 all the way to Romans 6, um, but this morning let us read together Romans 6 verses 1 through 11. Saints, this is the word of the Lord, please give it your full attention. What shall we say then? <clears throat> Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized, who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ, as Christ, was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For if we have, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. May God add a blessing to the reading of it now, to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider your word. Please, dear God, enlighten our minds. Please, dear God, inflame our hearts. Help us to love you, to obey you, to see your word, Lord, and love it and love you. Dear God, I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name. We pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath. We are blessed to have received our brother Mario into membership this past Lord's Day. I praise God. Each time that I am, by his grace, afforded the blessing of walking through new membership classes with new potential members. During our baptism class, I was convicted by my own lack of recalling, recalling and deeply contemplating my own baptism. This was during Mario's baptism class for membership. As I was teaching class for Mario, I was convicted, I should say again, of my own lack of remembering, recalling my own baptism and the ongoing spiritual benefits that baptism provides for the believer. This morning then, <clears throat> with God's help, I would like us to be encouraged to deeply contemplate our baptism and the ongoing spiritual benefits that baptism provides for the believer. I will be again working through Romans chapter 1 uh, to chapter 6. If you're looking for a title for the sermon, the title is simply this. Remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. Number one, God first renews minds and hearts. Number one, God first renews minds and hearts. As I said before, I'm going to be working uh, backward and then forward. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Saints, as creatures made in the image of God, we have been created with what John Calvin called the census divinitas. The census divinitas is simply this, the sense of the divine. Augustine would call it natural theology. Those things about God which we know via being made in his image. Or those things about God that we know by nature. But because of the ungodliness of men, we have suppressed. Suppressed means to push down or push back. We have suppressed, pushed down or pushed back that which we have been created to know. Or that which we know by nature, namely, God. Paul will say his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature. We and all things have been made by God for God. All things come from God. It is God who gives life to all things, breath to all things, and all things find their existence principally in God. Because of sin, though, men have rejected this natural knowledge. Romans 121. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile. Listen to this. These two things in their speculations, which is thoughts or mind and their foolish hearts were darkened. Love. Paul says, do you see the effects that sin has had? on our mind and on our hearts. He says that both were darkened. Minds became futile and affections became darkened. Right reason, minds, were disabled. Right affection, heart, love, was polluted. The fall caused a pollution of the soul. The fall caused a pollution of the soul. That is, the fall caused our minds and our hearts to be polluted. Paul will go on to say in Romans 1.30 that rather than being lovers of God, for that is the purpose of our existence, that's why we've been made, because of sin, we have become haters of God. What is more, when all men stand before God, they will stand before him excuseless. Uh, no one will be able to say that they did not know God, or that all of these things that Paul is teaching, were completely um, they were completely oblivious to. So then Paul, and, and keep in mind, Paul is speaking to believers. Romans 1, 8, 1, 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout all the whole world. He's speaking to believers. Paul begins to explain, n- not only from nat- man's natural theology that he is guilty of sin, but from the law. So Paul is saying, you know God because you've been created to know God. And that which you know has been written on your hearts, the hearts of all men. It says in Romans chapter 2 and 12, All have sinned without the law, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but also the doers of the law who will be justified. Meaning this, uh, Jews, you know and have the written law. You will be judged by it. Gentiles, you also know the law. Even though you don't have written law, law has been written on your hearts and you live in accordance with that law. 
You live by a law that you don't have in front of you because it's been written on your hearts. Jews, you live by a law that is in front of you and you will both, Jew and Gentile, be likewise judged by that law. No one can say, I did not know God existed and no one can say, I did not know what God required of me. It's been written on all of our hearts. We have a natural theology. We know God. We suppress that knowledge But we know the knowledge, but we know God, not in a relational way, but in a way that we know that God has made us for him. Uh, Paul will say, what's the point? The point is this, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the point that he's getting to. He says in Romans 3.11, none understand, none seek for God, none do good. There is no fear of God before men. All men are guilty of this, whether Jew or Gentile. The disease of sin has infected all men. They have resisted, all men, have resisted the purpose for their existence. They have walked in opposition to the law of God, and they are incapable of offering to God a perfect righteousness which he requires of all men. But notice what Paul's doing. I'm speaking to the choir, aren't I? You all are saying, yes, we know these things already. Uh, Get to the point. Here's the point. Paul's making a reasonable argument. Here's what we're getting to. He's He's presenting a case, but using logic to do so. He's not just begging, please turn to Christ. Please turn to Christ. You know we do that sometimes, right? Please turn to Christ. He's giving a logical reason uh, of man's condition. He's saying to all men, and, and remember, he's speaking to the audience, here's the basis why you should turn. And here's a better option for you. He's offering a systematic theology on salvation. He's appealing to your minds. He's saying, there is a reason why you've been made, and you know it. And here's where we went wrong. And you can't reasonably deny this. And there's nothing that you can reasonably do to escape the punishment that is coming. Do you see how he's appealing? In appealing to the mind, though, he's also appealing to your heart. Because when the mind begins to be to be instructed, it it begins to do something to the heart. When you begin to hear information... That is true. You have two options. Believe it or deny it. But but there is something that wells up when you're hearing information that says in your heart, I will either do or I, or I, or I will not do. Paul's appealing to the mind through revelation. He's appealing to that which man naturally knows. And he does it with a systematic presentation. He's, he's saying, I'm going to give you this reasonable argument. And I'm going to trust that God will enlighten your mind. And that you will understand and agree. And understanding and agreeing means that you've you've had a a mind and heart change. Paul's being used by the Holy Trinity to call his four loved ones. The Holy Trinity is calling his four loved ones out of darkness and into his light through this appeal to no longer suppress that which you've been made to know, but confess it and believe. He said in Romans 3.21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for those who believe. Verse 24, Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. He's saying, after this um, reasonable, systematic trust, Paul is trusting that if you understand this, it is because mine has been changed, you've been enlightened with wisdom that is previously disabled. Remember, what's been the effect of our fall? Um, we, we have disabled minds, right? Our minds don't reason the way that they should. They, they become futile in their thoughts. Uh, 
Paul's saying, if you've heard this and understood it, it's evidence that something has happened here that's going to, that's going to affect here. You are going to begin to love the Father. The Father gives you His love, who is the Holy Spirit, and you begin to love that which you now know. If you hear this and believe it, because God has given you faith. God has given you a gift that He does not give to every single person, nor does He have to give it to every single person. You've been freed now to cooperate with the grace that God has given you to believe in Christ. Who is, who is Paul says, the righteousness of God. Amen. If you understand this, God is infusing you with wisdom and love. If you understand this, one may say, but how is it so simple? I just believe and I'm justified. Is it that simple? And then Paul points to Abraham. Paul uses Abraham as his primary example. And here's what he does. Abraham was, was first, think about circumcision. Abraham was first cut in his heart before he was ever cut in his body in the ceremony of circumcision, covenant ceremony of circumcision. Do you get that? Before Abraham ever walked down in Genesis 15, before he ever walked down the way of blood into the, the covenant of circumcision, there was something that first happened to his heart. And it was the invisible work of the triune God cutting the heart. It, it was an invisible work. You can't see it. When God, when the gospel is presented, you can't see what's being done. It's, it's an invisible work, right? Removing the heart of stone and giving Abraham a heart of flesh. It's an invisible work. Think about it also. Like, God is taking your heart of stone and and giving you a heart of flesh. Think about that. Just, just the, just the words itself. You you go, wait a minute, and and you know what a heart looks like. My heart still seems to be there. It seems to, no, it, yeah, it was there before. It still seems to be there. What do you mean that he's taken my heart? There is something spiritually taking place, isn't there? There is an an invisible work of God, the Holy Spirit, of the triune God upon the soul. Something something that's immaterial, something that you can't see, listen to this, that evidences itself visibly. The evidence that, that the invisible work has taken place is evidenced by something visible. What's the evidence that you've had a heart transplant? Well, Abraham, what was, what was Abraham's evidence that he had a heart transplant? That Abraham would walk through this covenant of, of circumcision. That Abraham would submit himself visibly to a covenant of being cut. The visible evidence of Abraham's invisible surgery was that Abraham would have a visible surgery. Are you walking with me? That Abraham was first cut to the heart. Evidence of this was that Abraham was willing to submit himself to be cut in his body. Mm-hmm. Romans 4, 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God mm-hmm. first. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham first believes God. It's because of what first takes place in the soul that results in that which takes place in the body. Mm-hmm. Romans two twenty nine. But he who is a Jew is one who is one inwardly. If you are truly a, a, a um, if you are truly the people of God, you are first the people of God inwardly, not outwardly. And circumcision is that which is of where the heart. By whom? Not the hands of flesh, the hands of men, but by the Spirit, not of the letter. And His praise is not from men, but from God. 
Here's, here's Paul's point. He's saying, remember Abraham. Faith in God was credited to him as righteousness before he had done any act. Before Abraham did any act externally, the evidence of his belief first began internally. And this was the sake, this was for, Paul will say, this was for our sake. Meaning what? Romans 4.23, so that we might know that righteousness is of faith and not of works, so that man may not praise men, but praise God. That's what Paul's getting to. He's saying, it's not of anything that you can do. It's not of the works of your hands. It's of the work of the Spirit, the work of the triune God within. He is the one who does this work. Therefore, we are justified by faith. Romans 5.1 And because we are justified by faith first, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into grace in which we stand and we exult in, in hope of the glory of God. Faith in Christ, we're getting somewhere, is evidenced inwardly by understanding of the mind, by belief in the heart and profession of the mouth. There's this thing that happens. You hear, you understand, you love, you say. This is with Mario as, as new member. Mario, do you believe in Christ? Uh, do you understand the gospel? I do. Uh, do you love God? I do. Uh, will you confess him before men? I will. And he stood before you last week and confessed. Here is what, what Christ has done for me. He's already been baptized. We're going to get to that. God enlightens our minds to know wisdom, Christ. To rightly reason, to properly understand, and to obey. And evidence of our obedience is found in what? How, how do you know that... that how do you know that God has, has worked in your heart? Obedience. Why do you obey? Because you love. What is love? Love is the Holy Spirit. God has gifted, gifted you with the Holy Spirit to love Him and to obey Him. The Holy Spirit causes us to love. So that that which we now know we love. And our obedience again is out of love. You're not being, you're not loving God or, or joining us for worship because someone is saying, do it, do it. You better do it. You're saying, because I want to. I love God. Last week, I, I, I praise God for the humility of the saints to receive tough messages, right? But, but that can result in two things. Either pride can raise up and go, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what that man says. Or you can say, that man is speaking on, on the behalf of God and I love God. And therefore, I want to obey his word. And I know this is good for my soul. So I will do it. That's love. I heard the gospel. I understand it. I believe it. I obey it because I love God. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For it is with the heart that one person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Understand belief, confession of the mouth, but evidence of those of God's salvific power is not limited to understanding, belief, and confession. It's not limited to those things. If someone says, I understand, I believe, I confess, God calls us to go further. In the same way that Abraham believed, um, understood, believed, and confessed, God called him further. And what is that further step that we must take? Number two. This will be a short point. Last point will be the longest. Evidence of the Spirit's work is public act of devotion, which is this, baptism. It's a public act of faith, baptism. Evidence of the Spirit's work 
evidence of the triune God's work. This is going to be a long point for those of you who are taking points. Uh, evidence of the triune God's work is a public act of faith. Baptism. Listen to this. 6.1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized, listen to this, into his death? When Abraham was visibly cut to the heart, he made a, invisibly, he made a visible act of faith or visible act of devotion to God in the covenant ceremony of circumcision. He displays, here's God, I believe in you. I will walk through this covenant ceremony with you. Similarly, when one is made a new creation, when one trusts in Christ Jesus, they make a visible, public act of faith or devotion to God. For the Christian, they are baptized. It's what believers do when they are saved. I'm going to run through these scriptures that you know already. Our Lord commanded his disciples in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Uh, Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You will remember when Peter preached his first sermon at Pentecost, the the hearts of men were pierced. And they asked him, "Uh, Brethren, what shall we do? Acts 2.38 Repent, each of you, yes. And... Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Later in Acts chapter 8, there was an Ethiopian eunuch who sat in his chariot confused as he read the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit led the apostle Philip to the Ethiopian so that he might explain to him what he was reading or rather of whom he was reading. Acts 8.35, then Philip opened his mouth. Love that. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from the scriptures, from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Beginning from that scripture in in Isaiah, the scriptures say, and he preached Jesus to him. As Philip preached Christ, the spirit opened the man's mind and his heart so that he could understand and believe. And what comes after understanding and belief? Acts 8.36, as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch says, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Dear saints, baptism follows faith. Um, For we want to say this very carefully. If you believe in Christ, baptism should follow your faith. You should be asking your children. Um, not when they're 18. When you're 18, we'll talk about it. You should be asking them now. Do you believe in Christ? Are you seeing evidences of the Spirit's work in their life? You should be asking them, do you desire to be baptized? Do you desire to make a public display act of your faith? This should not be something that you say to them, wait till you're 18. You should uh, evaluate their maturity. But baptism is for all who truly believe. It is the outward evidence of inward faith. My dad used to say, baptism is an outward expression of an inward conviction. Faith in Christ, listen to this, is the key into the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Baptism 
is the door or gate by which we enter. Faith is in Christ is the key into the kingdom. Baptism is the door or gate by which we enter. Christ has said, someone might say, well, Christ said he is the door. Yes, he is the door. Christ is, is door. Christ is, is the entrance. Yes. But Christ commands us to be baptized, does he not? As a public display of your faith in him. Baptism is our publicly confessing faith in and identifying with Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Question 97 of our baptism, our baptism catechism. What is baptism? Listen to this answer. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament instituted by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized a sign of his fellowship with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, of his being grafted into him of remission of sins, and of his giving up himself unto God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. Baptism is a one-time covenant ceremony where, through the symbolism of water, we confess and identify with Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. I'm going to say this as a side note. I've been baptized twice. I wasn't baptized as an infant. I was baptized upon conversion. But I was baptized by one who was not an officer of the church and also not qualified to be an officer of the church. Therefore, I disregarded my first baptism. If that's you, you were baptized by someone who was not an officer or disqualified from the office and not qualified from the office, then you should consider, maybe I need to be baptized again. If you were baptized in true faith, that was on your side. But if it was administered by someone who was not in the proper place of baptizing you, then maybe you should reconsider going on. We stand in the waters of baptism and declare our faith in Christ. But we also declare that the old man has been crucified and we emerge a new man in Christ. As Christ was buried, so too we symbolically were buried As Christ was raised, so too we believe that we shall be raised to new life. Saints, do you remember when you were baptized? Think about it. I recently have become convicted because when I remember my baptism, I was remembering the wrong things. Not the first baptism. Disregard it. I remember it, but I don't care about it. Second baptism. That one means something to me. I can tell you the whole story of how it went down, how I spent the night at Hart Park just to save the spot. Listen. But I'm remembering the wrong things. When I was remembering my baptism, I was remembering the night before and the day. I was remembering the temperature of the water. I was remembering... Who stood with me? Who baptized my dad? Who baptized me? Who was standing in front of me as I publicly confessed my faith? I was remembering all those things are good. They're nice. They're sweet to remember. But they're not going to benefit my soul. Remembering how cold the water is won't do no good for my soul. Remembering who was standing in front of me or the temperature of the day. I'm so glad it was summertime and not wintertime, right? Remembering those things will no do, will do me no benefit for my soul. When I recall my marriage, the temperature of the day will not assist me in holding fast to my spouse. 
the temperature of the day and, and who was there, who wasn't there, who I'm mad at for not coming still, none of those things will benefit my soul or assist me to uphold my vows that I made to my beloved wife. And so it is with the people of God. This is what Paul is communicating in the sixth chapter. He's not saying, be baptized. It's a given. You're saved. You will be baptized. Rather, Paul is saying, your baptism has ongoing spiritual benefits for your soul that you must continuously lean upon in your becoming like Christ. Speaking to our, our friend Julius yesterday, he made the point that when we come into a Reformed church, we often hear about baptism as a means of grace. And we think we got it. And, and, and then we move on. Yes, Christ dispenses grace to us through baptism. But you don't, we, we don't talk about baptism every Lord's Day, do we? You see the Lord's Supper. You're called to remember the Lord's Supper. But every Lord's Day, you're not called to remember your baptism, are you? Baptism is a one-time act. Lord's Supper, we do it every Lord's Day. And so it's very easy for us to go, I forgot about it. I don't think about it very often. Oh, the day, the temperature of the water. No, not that. Because baptism is a one-time act, we tend to think or allow its benefits to be effectual only for the day in which we were baptized. And we, we neglect the ongoing benefits that it provides for us. We kind of leave the benefits and the act in the past and forget that it has effectual working today and onward until Christ returns. And this is what Paul is addressing believers. Or this is the point that Paul is addressing to believers in chapter 6. Third point, last one, let's get to it. Remember your baptism, for it has ongoing benefits. Remember your baptism, for it has ongoing benefits. This is verses 1 through 4 in chapter 6. Now, Paul is possibly responding to those who have rejected the gospel of grace because of the false belief that the grace of God was being used as a license to sin. You with me? That is, some rejected salvation by grace through faith because they believed that it denied holiness. They're saying, well, where's the obedience? You, you mean you can just sin and depend upon the grace of God to forgive you for your sin? They accused Paul of preaching a message of freedom to sin and even encouraging sin so that grace may increase. It's, it's the, the, it's the objection that he brings up. What shall we say then? Should sin increase so that grace it could increase? It's what people were saying about Paul and his message. You think that you can increase in sin because you depend on, on the great grace of God. So you keep sinning to de- so that grace will increase. Right. Well, what about it, Paul? What do you have to say for yourself? Are you encouraging uh, saints to sin? Romans 6, 2, may it never be. May it never be. Your your strongest objection that you can think of, whatever it is, that's the objection that Paul is using. May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Follow me now. Listen, if there was any point up until uh, in the sermon where... Attention matters, it's right now. Because this is where the benefits are, right? Paul proclaims that those who have trusted in Christ are those who have died. 
And since we have died, we can't continue to live in sin. There was once a time when our minds were futile, our hearts were darkened, and we found pleasure in sin. But now, through the triune God's work in our mind and in our hearts, we have the wisdom of God. We have the love of God. And the persons of the Trinity are assimilating us to themselves. We're being made like God, right? Grace is a gift that we did not deserve. We didn't earn, nor could we repay. And grace is also being created in our soul. There's something invisible taking place in our soul now that's being manifested visibly by the virtues that we display on an ongoing basis. Namely, what virtues, Pastor Antonio, that, that, that what virtues are, are being displayed visibly that are taking place on an ongoing, in an ongoing way? Namely, you are not finding pleasure in sin any longer. Let's go to these things. You understand rightly now Your heart has been changed. Therefore, when you see sin, you can reasonably say, that will do me no good. When you see sin, you can say, I don't love it like I used to. These are the visible, ongoing spiritual benefits that God has for His people, who He he is imprinting His His, the divine life upon. You're now turning away from that which you turn to which you formerly turned to. Think about this. Think about your vice. We all had different ones, right? Think about that which um, bound you at one point. Why are you no longer bound to it? Why are you no longer turning to it and finding pleasure in it? And oftentimes, the turning to it was just to numb us from whatever pain we were feeling, right? Why are you no longer going there, but you're finding yourself here on the Lord's Day? Why are you no longer turning to those things, but you're you're now sitting there, you're taking notes, you're listening intently, because there is something invisibly being done in you that is visibly being seen by your receiving, believing, and then obeying. God is doing this. You are finding that now, because of the indwelt persons, you are loving God above all things. Not perfectly, I've been saying that, haven't I? Not perfectly, but progressively. You're loving God, not perfectly, but progressively, more and more, as I said last week, sweeter and sweeter as the day goes goes by. There are some difficult days, aren't there? There's some dog days, aren't there? But why don't you stay there? Why is it that you keep returning to the triune God? It is because you are indwelt by the triune God. We say, but sometimes I do enjoy sin. I'm sure but not wholly, do you? You don't completely give yourself over to it without returning to Christ, do you? Why is that? Because your reason has been restored. You can say, this does me no good. This actually does not please me. This actually, I actually do not find joy in this. You actually turn from it because you hate it. And you strive to turn from it. You, you, you're turning and you are continuing to turn from it. You're beginning to resemble the love within the Holy Spirit. Aquinas says, sanctifying grace disposes the soul to possess the divine persons. You, because grace has been poured into your life, you are now reflecting the persons of the Trinity who, who live within 
How do we know this? Romans 5, 5. Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. How do we know that, that we're becoming like the persons? Because God has poured His love into you, into your heart, by the Spirit. So Paul's argument, no. We don't embrace grace so that we can use it as a license to sin. May it never be. The, the love of God has been poured into our hearts and we hate sin. What's evidence that we hate sin? What's evidence that we no longer desire to walk in the flesh? Here's, here, here it is, ready? Uh, Romans 6.3 Or don't you know? He goes, here's why we don't. Because we've been baptized into Christ Jesus. Amen. And if we've been baptized into Christ, we've been baptized into His death. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. So as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too, listen to this, we might walk in newness of life. Saints, here's Paul's evidence for the believer. Ready? That that the persons are being worked in you. God is making you like Himself. That that you are not abusing the grace of God. That you are turning from sin. That you are walking in newness of life. Here's Paul's evidence. Prove it to me, Paul. Here's my evidence. I was baptized. Why do I keep turning away from sin? Why do I keep wanting to walk in newness of life and love and obey God and find my pleasure in Him alone? Because I was baptized. You might want to even say it like this, because I'm married. Why do I turn away from all of their suitors? Because I got a wife. And I love her. I'm committed to her. I made vows to her. I walked through a covenant ceremony with her. And I said, I will. I promise. And she did the same to me. And I don't leave that ceremony in the past and go, that was a long time ago. It has no longer, it no longer has benefits for my soul or for my marriage today. She, she's listening right now. This is a good one. She gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. I, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I love her more today than I did when we first were married. Well, let's apply that to our Christ. Do you love Him more today than when you first... When the burden of your... Uh, the burden that was on your back, like dear Christian, was removed and rolled away. Do you love him more today than on that day when you first received your sight? And are you happy all the day? You were baptized, Paul says. I don't abuse the grace of God. Here's why. I was baptized. Paul points back to this one-time act of faith that has an ongoing effect on on the soul that causes me not only to turn two things to turn away from sin but also to walk in newness of life that's why peter could say in in first peter chapter three baptism now saves you speaking to some who've already been baptized baptism which now saves you do you know that your baptism has this ongoing salvific effect it continues to save you from sin And it continues to launch you forward into newness of life. Peter would agree with Paul. 
concerning the ongoing benefits of baptism. Not that water that cle- not the water that cleans you, but the ongoing de- effect of the divine persons working in your soul, namely this, making you holy, making you like God. When we were baptized, we publicly confessed Christ, did we not? His life, his death, his resurrection. We publicly identified with his life, death, and resurrection. We publicly declared his life, death, and resurrection is ours. Far from baptism being just a covenant ceremony. It's an ordinance instituted by Christ. Two things. First, by those who've been buried with Christ. What does baptism mean? It means, number one, 3A, you died. Baptism means you died. It means that you can say with Paul this, I have been crucified with Christ. Dear ones, do you remember your baptism? Baptism perpetually, continually. Here's why you should remember this. Because baptism perpetually and continually declares this, brother. I have been crucified with Christ. Why should you you remember your baptism? Because it was on that day that you said to the world, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is on that day and every day thereafter that you remind yourself that the old man has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's my next point, but you've, you've already gotten it now. Far from the temperature of the water. Remember this. You have been crucified with Christ. Amen. Remember Amen. when you were baptized. It was a public declaration that your old self, your old man died. B- baptism serves the believer. Now, when they are confronted with the prospects of temptation... The temptation is sin to declare to both the tempter and to the temptation. I have been crucified with Christ. I was baptized. The tempter appeals to the one who formerly. To the one who formerly lived with the temptation. The tempter says, here's what the tempter tries to do when when bringing a a temptation. Uh, You're not really dead. Remember this, your old friend? And begins to dangle sin in front of you. Whatever, whatever that vice may have been for you. Begins to dangle in front of you. And tempts you with this, with two things. You aren't dead, are you? You still want this, don't you? And baptism serves the believer as a weapon. Listen to this, as a weapon. As a defense against the wiles of the enemy. When the tempter and the, and the temptation come, remember this. I was baptized, therefore I have died. That which you are dangling in front of me, Satan, no longer works. It no longer appeals to my soul. I no longer find joy or pleasure in that thing. That man is, the man you're appealing to is dead. Paul will say in verse 8, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Our old self was, was old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. You're not. Baptism can say this. I'm not. I'm, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no one. I'm I'm no slave to Satan any longer. Instead, I am a slave. As he'll go on to say a slave to righteousness. I'm still a slave, but a slave to righteousness and not a slave to sin. 
Baptism has this ongoing effect of telling the believer that he is dead. And therefore you are free from sin's power. You don't have to obey it. You're free from it. Uh, When you think of your baptism, don't just think of the water's temperature. But contemplate on the power of God who has freed you from the power of sin. We're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. Prior to salvation, we foolishly presented our members, the members of our body, as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness. But now we are called to present the members of our body as slaves to righteousness. And we can do so. You can do this. You have been set free by Christ. You can do this. But you're not only dead to sin. Someone may go, I, I, I don't want you walking out of here saying, I remember my baptism because it helps me to just turn away from sin whenever I'm tempted. Not just that. That's good. But not just that. We've been crucified. But not only that, we've been raised with Christ to new life. We've been raised with Christ to new life. Romans 6, 3. Christ raised us from the dead. Oh, Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. So too, we might walk in newness of life. Verse 8. If we die with Christ, we believe that we should also live with Him. Verse 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but what? Not just dead to sin, but also alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dear ones, the waters of baptism not only remind us that we are dead, but the waters of baptism remind us that we are alive. Not just that we're dead, but that we are also alive. You are now, you are now more alive than you ever were. You're more alive now than you ever have been. You left the old man at the bottom of the baptismal waters. When you think about, when you remember your baptism, remember this, the old man that I used to be, um, drowned. Drowned at the bottom of those baptismal waters. And the man that you see today, the woman that you see today, finds their life now in Christ. The life that I live, I now live by the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 both call the believer, listen to this, to put on the new self. Ephesians 4 tells us the new self is the likeness of God. What what does that mean, put on the new self? It means the likeness of God. What does that mean? It means walk like God walked. How do I do that? Well, God has given you His Word. Look to His Word. Obey it. And in doing so, you are walking, living the God kind of life. You've been created for righteousness and holiness. We are new creations in Christ Jesus, created for good works. What are the good works? It's what God has commanded in His Word. This is what is being declared in the waters of baptism. We exit, remember this, remember when you walk, we exit the waters. Remember that first step that you took out of that water? We remember being in the water. We remember going down. We remember coming up. We remember our eyes first being opened and the people that we saw and the claps that we may have heard. But do you remember the first step that you took out of the water? Your first step exiting the water is your first step on dry ground to newness of life. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God is imprinting, listen to this, God is imprinting the divine life upon your soul, evidenced visibly by your and my walking in newness of life. I don't walk like I used to, meaning I don't live like I used to. And some of you also walk, walk the same, yes. But I'm talking about spiritually. We don't live like we used to. We don't just remember our baptism when we're tempted to sin, yeah? I was baptized. I will turn away from that sin. Good for you. That's good. But also remember your baptism, that your first step out of the waters to dry ground was your first step in walking in newness of life. Do you remember your baptism? Baptism not only serves to aid the believer to turn away from sin, but it assists us in walking now in newness of life. Quick example, then we'll close. Aquinas uses this example of, of a seal. You know what a seal is, right? A seal being stamped on hot wax. And he says, that's the analogy of what God does to our soul. He's, watch this, sealing our soul with, with a seal as hot wax. But then he goes, oh, but that's not good enough. You know why? Because the seal eventually is removed from that hot wax. And what is God's? The seal eventually withdraws. But God has promised that he will not withdraw from us. What does he say in, in, in John chapter 14? If anyone beloves me, he will follow my word. My father will love him. Listen to this. And I will come and make my home in him. And our dwelling will be with him. Unlike a seal that removes itself eventually, God says, I will not remove myself. I will actually come and make my home with you. He's not like a home builder who builds and then leaves so that you can live in it. He's the home builder who goes, welcome. Um, I'm staying too. I built this for you and now I live here. <laughs> the divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they've made their home in you. They've made their dwelling, their abode in you. Why should you remember your baptism? Because it reminds you God lives in me. God lives in me. I walk in newness of life. For the one who loves the Father, God has given that person a new mind, wisdom, Christ. For the one who loves the Father, the Father has given them love. Who, who is love? The Spirit. The persons dwell within you. And the persons, they're not static. They're not just there. They're not idle. God is at work assimilating you to himself. He's making you like him. When you remember your baptism, remember this. God lives in you. Not only to turn away from sin, but to walk in newness of life so that he can make you like him. God made his home in you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he's impressing himself upon you. And the effect is this. You become lovers of him. And that's an increasing effect upon the soul. You increasingly love him. Why can someone bring to you correction and you go, you know what, you're right. Not because the person has any kind of um, grand influence over you. Rather, it's because your soul is being imprinted by God and God lives in you. So that when God word comes, God's word comes to bear upon your soul, you go, God, you're right. And because I love you, I will obey. That's the effect. You, you, you start to see the effect of, of God living in you is that there's an increasing 
and increasing love upon for God upon your soul. Um, Brother Julie said to me, and there's no cap to that. You're not going to go at one day. I think I loved him enough today. I, th- I think my love for him has reached its climax. We will for eternity continue to grow in our love for God. Even when we receive the beatific vision, we will still be growing in our love for God. Finding joy in God is evidenced by your obedience to him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do you know that you love God? How do you know that this is increasing in you? Obedience. A quick quote as we end. Dominic Legg, grace elevates human nature to share in the divine nature, thereby also elevating his, his power of loving in the gift of charity and his power of knowing in the gift of sanctifying wisdom that flow from grace. If you don't get that, hear it again and, and, and get, hear it again until you get it. What are the ongoing benefits of baptism as we close? It causes us to be remind, reminded that we have been crucified with Christ. We didn't seem to die. We really died. We don't pretend like we died. We really died. It causes us to be reminded that we've been raised with Christ and we didn't seem to be raised. You're not pretending like you're a new person. You are a new person. I, I, I think it was, I, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, oh, I won't say his name. There was a, a dear brother who said to me the other day, I, someone came to me and you know what they said? There's something different about you. And he says, I was floored. I was floored by him telling me that. He goes, I don't remember when someone has ever told me that. And he was like, and I was like, thank you, God. I don't know what else to say. Thank you, God, that there's someone who recognizes there's something different about me. And I wasn't pretending I was just being me. God is really at work in me, isn't he? And I I kind of was sitting there like, yeah, yeah, he is. And and I don't I don't know. I don't know if they know this, but I also could say the same thing about them. There's something different about you. I've seen it. And they could say the same thing about me. There's something different about you too. Praise God. I didn't come out of the womb this way. I'm still at work. God's still at work in me, isn't he? Yeah. In all of us. Newness of life is evidence that the confession of our mouth is really coming from a changed heart. See how that works from, from the inward out and then from the outward in? Something's happened here, here, comes out there. Evidence is what I do with my life. And it shows that what I'm doing out here is really a change of here and here, or here and here and here. It's all been changed. What's the benefit? Closing. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving for you then deriving from these things, which are now, you are now ashamed? For the outcome of these things is death. We make no boast of sin. We do not pursue sin nor abuse the grace of God as a license to sin. Rather, we remember and we rejoice that we've been baptized. We are now free from sin, enslaved to God. And here's the ongoing effect. Verse 22. You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. Here's, here's the benefit. You are being sanctified and the outcome, eternal life. Because the opposite is death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Dear ones, closing. Remember your baptism. It has ongoing spiritual benefits for your soul. And may I encourage you to do this. I I know that at least one dear brother um, will do this for all of us. Say to one another, hey, remember your baptism.
And because you've heard this, you'll know all of what that means. We can say that both, both as an encouragement and as a correction. Hey, dear one, don't forget your baptism. And when someone is wrestling with sin, hey, you were baptized. Remember your baptism. Let's pray.